go. I'm about to make some takdori chan. Always add cuts to the chicken. Add the chicken once the water starts bubbling. Just add the sugar. Because I feel like it, I'm going to add some Jack Daniels. Let it cook for like 10 minutes. Take out the indecencies. Add the root vegetables now. Time to add the onions. Add the garlic. Yo, in fact, add mad garlic. That's the minced garlic right there. Of course, the chopped jalapenos as well. Yo, let all the ingredients bake together harmoniously. Add two shots of soy sauce. And two shots. Two shots of pepper powder. Two shots. Taste it for the culture. Yo, it's wild spicy. I'm gonna add some more honey in this. Add this instant ramen, just the noodles. Let the noodles submerge and cook. I'm gonna add the starch noodles in there too. We add the scallions. Yo, look at this gorgeous sight right here. Add some sesame seeds, sesame oil. Yo, it's ready now. Peep the details. Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. Uh, we're doing a bonus episode, but I think we're gonna I think we're gonna release this on the general feed just because we want people to get to know our guests. And this is just I think we'll probably do this maybe like once every couple months where we try and unlock things. Um, but that doesn't mean that you know our patrons are now paying for nothing. We'll get back to doing some other stuff next week. Um, our guest today is Jakey Cho. Um, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. Excellent. It's snowing in New York right now. So, uh, yeah, not going anywhere today, probably. Is the, is the snow actually bad? I just remember when I lived in New York and it was like every time it was like, there's going to be a winter polar vortex and it's going to be terrible. And then it wouldn't actually be that bad. And yeah, <laughs> like I, I think maybe five people go buy out the bodega. Yeah. Yeah. I think for the most part, um, you know it's manageable because the city has gone through it so many times and um yeah they're very responsive uh it's interesting though because last year i don't think we saw any snow uh but this year like the past few weeks it's just been like snow every week uh the first snowstorm was pretty sizable um you know like work and school had to shut off but yeah for the most part i mean it's not that bad you know um so we i don't know like i wanted to have you on for a variety of reasons and um but the first thing you know just to introduce you to the listeners i don't know how would you describe what it is you do like i i think i can tell i can say that the thing at this point that you are most known for is that you do a lot of cooking videos a lot of culture videos you know a lot of different types of videos on tiktok where you have like about what like half a million followers at this point yeah 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 for sure yeah um and that really kind of happened because of the uh pandemic you know like it wasn't really my intention to hop on tiktok but i mean to answer your question uh what do i do excellent question i mean for a job right now i'm a partner in a retail business uh we have locations in you know brooklyn and queens uh prominently the location the flagship location is in flushing so I dabble in the fashion industry. I also have a little boutique agency where we do wholesale business for brands, peddling garments, you know. But uh, mm -hmm. I started in the uh, in the writing journalism world, like the culture space, right? As a as a content creator, as a media, like as an as an editor. So um, you know, I have a lot of respect for guys like you. Uh, I have your book, by the way. Did I ever tell you that I have your book, The Dead Do Not Improve? <laughs> no, they're year one of like never 2000 told you that. people. Nah, 
No. <laughs> Yo, that's great, man. Limited edition. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. no, that's great, man. No, that's awesome. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you got. Yeah, I, I kind of started in that space. Um. Yeah. So like, and then because I I always thought of you as a guy who did clothing. You know, you worked on you worked in hip hop. You know, with your association with with some with some rappers. A guy who was, you know, sort of doing a lot of streetwear stuff in Queens. And then suddenly, I, you know, there was a day where during the pandemic where I looked at my phone and there was this video blowing up and it was like this dude cooking Korean food. And then I looked at, I looked closer and I turned to my wife and I was like, I know that guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so like how, how, how did that start? Like how did, how did you become sort of like a uh, one of the, I, I guess there's a few Korean guys cooking on TikTok at this point, right? But how how'd you become right, one of right. those, dude? Um, so I always kind of, you know, I cooked at home. I was never, a, I'm, I mean, I'm not a trained cook. I never went to culinary school. I never worked in the kitchen in a professional setting. But uh, I always cooked, and um, you know, I always had an uh, admiration for people that cooked well, but also could deliver the process of cooking in their own unique way right um and i'm a huge like utang fan i grew up listening to a whole lot of ghostface and raekwon and you know these guys always have a lot of extravagant food references so i would just uh for fun like record a lot of the cooking process on my instagram story but it wasn't consistent it was just random sporadic and uh yeah. when the pandemic hit um i was doing that at a lot more consistent rate because everybody was stuck home and nobody was really doing takeout right so by default i was just cooking a lot more and uh, i was just doing that on the instagram story and the thing with the story is that they're segmented into 15 second you know tidbits so from a user experience it was just all the segmented small pieces of video right and uh one of my big bros who's uh you know who's 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 my who was who was my mentor when I was in the media space, uh, Donnie Kwok, who's currently the the GM at Complex. He just told me like, "Yo, uh, this shit's wild annoying to go through. Why don't you just start a TikTok channel?" And uh, <laughs> up until <laughs> that point, my whole concept yeah. of TikTok was just yeah, it was Donnie. Yeah, it was Donnie that told me to hop on it. So. Yeah, but up until that point, my whole concept of TikTok was just like dance videos, you know, like dance videos, lip syncing videos. And I don't think, yeah, there wasn't, there was a few like cooking uh, kids that were like cooking, you know, doing like step-by-step tutorials on TikTok for food, but nobody was really doing Korean food. And just, just for fun, I just made like a little tteokbokki tutorial video and, um, you know, just with all the catchphrases that I do for fun and you know with my accent and you know my delivery and i think that video kind of just took off you know and i think it was like the right time it was just you know everything just happened at the right moment because uh it was the pandemic uh the algorithm on tiktok you know which i still try to figure out you know it just all kind of worked together on a magical moment man and then once that video popped off you know i had like a good consistent run with a whole lot of videos just doing really well and just garnering a pretty big following as a result of that. Yeah, how does that work? Because, like, you know, I think it's some, it's a question that a lot of people have just because, you know, there's so much attention paid to these types of, con- of economies right now. 
And there's all these kids who, you know, I don't know, they did some poll and they were asking kids, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? I and the saw most that. popular, you know, the most popular thing was like TikTok star slash YouTube influencer yeah, or some yeah, shit yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, 1,000, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you're the first, you're the only person I think I know who sort of blew up that way on one of these platforms, you know? Uh. Um, and so I've, I've always been curious about it. Like, how, how do you do it? Like, you know, I, I get the point where you just have one thing that pops off because and you don't really understand why. And you're like, holy shit, you know, yep. but then you have to, like, build that into something. So, like, what do you what do you do? You know, like, so, how, do you, how do you build? So I think just from my experience doing this for the past year, um, I think consistency is key. Like you said, if one thing kind of pops off. Um, you tr really try to capture that moment and, um, I can't really speak on other like social media platforms, but on TikTok, I noticed that, uh, making things as streamlined and simple as possible for the users to understand is usually the key. So like, let's say mm. if I do, uh, you know, tutorial cooking videos, specializing in Korean food, um, just stick to that, stick to it until like. The battery runs low and then you just figure out another format so trying to have like multiple content uh channels or multiple you know like a variety of content i noticed that it kind of confuses people so that's one thing i noticed like consistency and frequency and just doing it as often as possible so you know i, I realized that it was an app that's really fit for a younger generation because you know if you have a day job working nine to five nine to six like you don't have time to make one of these videos you know sometimes they might take up to five six seven eight hours man to try to like come up with the script making sure the angles look right making sure the sound is good you know so i realized okay yeah. like this is why a lot of like the younger kids could gravitate towards this you know because they just have a lot less you know real life responsibilities right so it made sense during the pandemic for me you know so i was going really consistent with it and um and I think it's also the algorithm, you know, like the app has specific type of um, content that they push at certain moments. Like so when I was riding the wave along with my friend um, Chris Cho, uh, he's a he's another chef in Philly. Um, when we were kind of riding that wave, like it was at its peak in terms of like, you know, that type of like step by step tutorial food content. The algorithm was really picking that up for their uh, for your it's, it's called the FYP page. So it's for your page. That's kind of like TikTok's explore page. So yeah, it yeah. was really uh, pushing those type of content. So yeah, so I, that's kind of how it works. But I think a lot of brands are still trying to figure out how to crack the system, crack the TikTok algorithm. And aside from the fact that it's just consistency and frequency, there isn't really a, a definitive answer for that, you know? So you got to just like, even if you know that something's like a B minus, you're just like, well, it's Wednesday, so I got to put something out. And then, or it's that, like Friday, I got to put something out. Exactly. Exactly. That's definitely a key. Um, another thing is, like I said, uh, having a type of content that the users could understand very easily. So I realized like the engagement kind of thwarted a little bit when um you know last june when the whole blm situation happened um and there was a national outcry about that and then i kind of wanted to address it in my own way on the app and that kind of shifted the direction 
for my user base because i mean my uh my follower base because they're so used to me just making fun and you know lighthearted cooking videos and then when i took it to another angle um that didn't generate as much engagement you know but yeah i have yeah. no regrets about that but i'm just saying like that was like one observation i noticed you know when you're trying to diversify something it doesn't work as easily on tiktok they just want you to do the one thing that that they like yeah they right. just want me to do the dance you know they want me to do the dance <laughs> like it's the same thing it's like remember when uh, I, I thought that uh uh do you remember when, like most deaf started doing black jack johnson and was doing uh he was doing like a rock band yeah i remember yeah. I, I mean he came to my college i was so excited because i think at the time i was like the world's number one most deaf fan you know and then he came and it was his rock i was so mad <laughs> it was like i want you but to do I, mathematics <laughs> I yeah, want you yeah, to mathematics. <laughs> yeah, mathematics and all the Black Star songs right yeah. now. You know, I want you and to say Umi <laughs> says. I don't want to hear this sex, love, and money bullshit. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly, exactly. It's like even the old De La songs. You know, do that. Please don't sing. You know, uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Now I think about it, I'm like, man. You know, he was just trying to find himself, and he was doing stuff that interested in him, and. Uh, you know, it's it's just so weird. You get these demands and you get this entitlement as like a as a consumer of this stuff, you know, and you don't really respect them as an artist. Now, I think most F, you know, I don't think that I still won't listen. I still don't need to listen to that rock stuff. But yeah, it's sim I think like, I don't know, especially on TikTok where it's so short. And then it's also almost I mean, I wanted to talk to you about this a little bit. We might as well now. But like, you know, like, I don't know. Is there like how how does it you've done other creative stuff, you know, like you help produce this documentary right like with um bad rap and you've you've been in creative spaces your whole career like what is there like a do you feel like weird about doing stuff for tiktok like does it feel more disposable you said you spent like seven hours scripting and stuff like that you know you obviously put work in like how, how does it feel yeah 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 to be to be clear like my process luckily doesn't take as long it's not like a six seven hour endeavor but Definitely, you know, a lot of hours are spent on it. Um, to your question, though, uh, yeah, I mean, there is definitely a sense of, because the content moves so fast, right? And then the user base that watches it forgets it as well, like in in a in a very quick time span. So, like, I, I see comments, like, you know, I only started on the app like last March, so it's been less than a year, and then I would occasionally yeah. see comments. Uh, you know, from these people like, yo, I haven't seen you in mad long. Like, I haven't seen you in two years. And I'm like, yo, I only been on the app for like 11 <laughs> months. Like, how does that math work? You know? So, mm. but, you know, Internet time is different from, you know, time in our physical space. Right. So, yeah, I, I do think things move a little too fast. But then again, that's just the attention economy that we're living in. Right. So uh, do I feel like, man, I wish some of this content could have longer lifespan uh yeah but you know is it possible in this generation no you know like so you just got to get adjusted to it right um you know like even the fact that we are now on clubhouse which by the way i think you'll be great on it you know what i mean but um i, I love your opinions on twitter man you know what i'm saying i, I just feel oh, like thanks i feel like you're a cynic with the heart of gold man you know what i mean <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know i love your perspective <laughs> I, man I tried, I tried Clubhouse and I listened to, you know, I, I listened to, uh, 
Bomani Jones do this mm. thing on Clubhouse. He's on it heavy. about about like that. You know the the the, the movie about um, Fred Hampton, Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was listening, and I was like, "Oh, I get the app now." You know, because it's like I listen to Bomani's podcast. I'm a big fan of his, mm. but it was almost like he it was a little more raw than that, and it reminded me of these live stream shows that Bomani has always done where he just sort of streams from uh, you know his house and he just mm. talks to people and answers questions. And that's where like I think for somebody like him where you're so quick, you know, and you have so many references off the top of your head that it almost because the bar is higher, you know, like you have to be so fast because it's happening in real time. Right. And the questions are coming in that it almost makes it like a higher performance. And then that's when I got it, you know, I was like, oh, you know, like somebody like him is going to do so well here. And then I also think maybe some people who are just like funny, you know, naturally will probably do well there. Right. But then I was like, I don't know if I'll do like, what? what right. I don't even know what I would talk about, you know? Right, 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 right. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you're yeah. you're a writer, you know, as a profession for your career, as that's your form of art as well. So you do like to contemplate and then put those thoughts into words without just spitting them out at the moment so i get that in that sense but well it's not even i just don't think i'm quick enough for that platform i, I feel the same like, way though you know i feel the same way you know like you know yeah, I'm, like, I'm around like rappers right so you know these motherfuckers are like super quick you know like you know one yeah. of my good friends dumbfounded he could just have like a joke about everything you know i wish i had like that level of dexterity and just you know quick wittedness you know what i'm saying so i get you on that oh yeah he would be amazing on clubhouse right oh yeah like, he's I great mean, man just because like everything could be like not everything but you know like the like the idea of like you know somebody who has that background in hip-hop as you know this deep battle rap background it means that you can come up with punchlines uh, you know so quickly he would be great, you know, like, yeah, uh, that's, totally. that's just like a quick mindedness. But, um, yeah, I don't, I, I think I'm like two steps too slow. Maybe, maybe 10 years ago I could have done it, but <laughs> right now <laughs> the, I just, my brain is like, I can feel it getting harder and smaller, you know, mm. it's like slowly, slowly deflating. I mean, getting, yo, but, but with that said though, I really enjoyed that Steven Yun piece, man, uh, that you wrote for the Oh, times. thanks man. Thanks. Yeah. yeah that's, uh. I think I can. I think writing is it lasts a little bit longer, but being like quick witted, I don't know. It's a little mm. bit. It's a little bit different. Um, how? Okay, so I don't know. Like, I, I I wanted to talk to you about a few things specifically, but like, mm. um, and a few videos specifically. But just going back to one last thing, and I think this is something I've always been curious about. Like, because you see these things where people make a ton of money off of TikTok. How how do people make? How do you make money off of TikTok? Um, how do you get paid it's it's really just uh it's just really like like anything man it's just like about having that brand you know and using that brand as the as a leverage to work with brands <laughs> you know like uh you know like if you have like 20 million followers and, and it's also like early movers advantage right just because tiktok yeah. the way that the app is designed it the algorithm is so smart that it feeds very specific content to uh, a particular user base that is interested in that content so it's curated in a very it, it's just it's just very well curated so for instance like if you like 
uh, cooking videos featuring Korean Americans talking in Wu Tang slang, you know, and you watch one yeah, of those you videos you and, Chris. and then you, you clicked on me and then you're going to get Chris and you're going to, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it, yeah, it just yeah. feeds you that type of content. So it's very streamlined and very curated. So, you know, that's the beauty of the app. So if you are able to garner a very big following in that, in that space, you know the the target rate and then the ROI and the KPI and all that you know the marketing terms and all that shit it you know it it, it, it would really entice a brand so you know some of the some of the uh, latest deals that i heard was um I, I don't know exactly who it was but you know does some tiktok uh personality just ask a, a brand for like 100 racks for one tiktok video you know what i mean oh my um, god i don't know if that deal went through but the point is, is like they feel compelled enough to ask that much of a budget, right, for for a TikTok video. So, but but for the most part, I think the rate goes like you know, if you have a million followers, like you could charge anywhere between like uh, two to five k, depending on the video. And then you know, the more followers you have, your rate goes up. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much how it. But works. you don't get a check from TikTok, right, for views you or do. anything like that. There is like a, you know, kind of like how YouTube has like the YouTube ad yeah. rates. Uh, you do. There's a thing called a creators fund, but you know the way they calculate it is is even more difficult than how Spotify pays their artists. You know what I'm saying? Like for instance, like yeah, I think out of all, so the creators fund only started like last year towards Q3 like the third quarter so i don't even know so a lot of my viral videos happened before the creators fund started you know what i mean so like this video that i have of me like making rice in a rice cooker which i had no idea would go viral like that has like two million oh views God. that's like, like half a tiktok as long as far as i can tell it's like <laughs> how do you cook rice in a rice cooker yeah <laughs> like half the shit i see at least yes <laughs> So like that video has two million views, but you know I didn't get a I didn't get paid a single dime from that. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't part of the creators fund, or TikTok didn't create that yet. But even after you have the creators fund, um, and you know one of my friends who's on the app did the math. It's like yeah, like I did the quick math, and if you clock in like a million views, like you get paid anywhere between thirty to fifty bucks. So what? yeah it's not it's not it's not <laughs> substantial at all you know what i mean so yeah i think the actual views you know doesn't really generate anything you know is you can't even really pay for anything with that right but um it's really just creating the brand and use that as leverage for other opportunities right now i mean it's the wild wild west at the moment so i think everybody's just trying to really figure out how they could leverage you know so followers. it's like basically it benefits people who can hustle on the side, right? One thousand like videos, and then you need to make the deals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like anything else. That's exactly just anything yeah. right now. It's like um, if you go on a reality show, you're not going to get to paid. Make a... Sorry, sorry. You're about to say. Oh no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Are you uh, are you able to make a living off of that? Like, is you know, like, is nah, it a lot nah, of your living nah. now is doing this stuff? nah 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 fortunately or unfortunately is not the case like um you know when the pandemic was kicking off for the first like few months you know i was just going hard with it uh you know cooking but i had a lot more bandwidth because like my day job like my the businesses that i co-own and you know i'm a partner in 
you know, they, they kind of had to take a momentary pause. So I had a lot more free time for me to do this. But once work started picking back up, like, it, it's hard to try to maintain it. But now my goal has shifted um, toward the end of last year to really just focus, uh, put this as one of my top priorities and really try to grow the brand um, via TikTok. But in terms of am I making a living out of this right now? Nah, it's more so in an investment stage right now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's good to know just because I think we have this expectation. I don't know who we is, but maybe old people like me where we see these, you know. Ad, you're, ad, not ad, old, ad, you Jay, just, you're not that old, man. You're not that old. I'm 40. I'm 41. But I assume mm. that everyone on TikTok is making like tons of money. Money, which makes no sense because I know a little well, bit about media rates and stuff like that, but I don't know. I don't like all these. I'm just like, oh man, they have a Bentley now, you know? <laughs> like, how much yeah, money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that you do, but like, uh, I you definitely know, you see don't. Like a TikToker, I, yeah. I don't, I don't even have, I can't even afford a Kia at the moment. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so yeah dude, you should get kia as a sponsor maybe they'll send you a car yeah, i would love you know? to man uh i did get sponsored by some korean brands like otugi you know yeah yeah shout out yeah. to otugi shout out to yeah. otugi you know what i mean uh man i should have had like the sesame oil in the backdrop as i'm doing this but um <laughs> yeah. yeah man that's you know they hook it up so um you know like the you know those moments are like kind of rewarding because you don't really you know these brands especially these korean brands that are household names like they feel so distant you know what i mean when i got my first box of goodies from otugi like i was more happy than i you know any seating nike pairs that i've had you know what i'm saying like yeah, it was like yeah. the most exciting you know endorsement you know product endorsement i've ever had you know what i'm saying so shout out to otugi for they real do you have a lot of do you have a lot of listeners or I'm not do you have a lot of uh do you have a lot of fans and people who watch your videos in Korea? So I didn't think I did, but recently I got on Clubhouse and um I got like a couple people were just hitting me up. It's like, yo, like I actually saw you on TikTok and you know, ah ah ah. But for the most part, I think TikTok also does a very good job of um making sure the content kind of stays within a specific region so i would purposely mm -hmm. make certain videos in korean to see if i could kind of get picked up in the korean fyp like in the korean algorithm but i haven't had much success with it um but it occasionally trickles out to them but then again i don't think that market necessarily want to see a kyopo making korean food when they make that shit at home at all times you know what i'm saying like they have famous chefs in there so i don't think they go on tiktok for that necessarily <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i was i maybe though you know i don't know because you have a specific style that i thought you know that that's sort of what i wanted to spend some time talking about which is you know like you have like everyone can hear now and if they're familiar with you you have like a you know like you have an accent you have a way of talking that would not be classified by i don't know by like white people at least but especially by like you know people who police this sort of stuff they would say like he doesn't talk like an Asian guy, you know, right, whatever right. that means, you know, mm -hmm. and you've done videos about this too. Um, we can just play one here. Peace. I started TikTok two months ago. Now I'm 278,000 followers deep. So much love to y'all. For those of y'all asking me, yo, where are you from? I'm Google's hotel now, cool. 
유치원 졸업하고 저희가 여기 중국을 갔어요. 아버지가 거기 일이 있으셔서 在中国的时候我们在南京住的一年级到三年级大概只有八年吧我妈妈的叔叔在美国告诉我们你们来纽约怎么样 And I lived in Queens ever since I'm an immigrant straight up And as a youngin You get influenced by the people you idolize My idols were Nas, Mob Deep and Wu-Tang Which helped to manifest me into the human being I am today Yeah, I said goodbye away to the Mexicans Sock by said to the Haitians Call my Greeks in the store via my lockers Learn Kudova from the Polish homies I'm an embodiment of New York City If you don't get it, that's on you But if you fucks with me as an individual Drop a righteous in the comments And let's keep doing what we doing why why'd you feel the need to make that video or like why why'd you make that video um I, you know the the reason why is because um i think you're talking about the one where i'm talking about like you know how i could speak chinese and so on and so forth right yeah 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 so i think around that time a lot of you know this was when you know all the videos i put up were just going viral you know constantly right and um it was also like my first time really dealing with uh, uh an audience outside of like my immediate circle you know so mm -hmm. a lot of the questions that were thrown in the comments were like hey he doesn't really talk like that you know what i'm saying your parents don't really talk like that you know what i'm saying like you know um, your you know, parents he, don't talk like yeah, yeah it's like yeah, <laughs> yeah no they yeah. do not yeah, yeah yeah for sure for sure it's like and i and i had to like tell them like yeah i i they actually don't even speak english fyi you know what I'm saying? so yeah, yeah th those were a lot of comments that i had to address and i just felt like i felt compelled to kind of just tell them like yo you know um i'm sure my experience is not unique because there's a lot of other people that i grew up around uh, probably doesn't have the same tone or voice, but they adopt a certain type of accent. They 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 take cues from a lot of cultural references that I've taken. So this isn't just a unique experience just for me. This is kind of more so uh, uh, something that happens when you are when you grow up and you kind of get uh, acclimated to the American lifestyle from a certain region uh, in, in a certain type of. Uh, you know area so yeah that, that was the reason why I, I felt you know i felt like i had to make that video just to address it but you know it was also like a humble flex right it was like yo by the way i speak korean i speak chinese you know i grew up in queens one of the most diverse areas uh concentrated areas in the united states if not the world um and yeah, so there, you know, uh, and, but but I also wanted to just kind of like encourage whoever that was watching, like, hey, by the way, if you um, speak like me, if you relate with this, yo, let's 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 connect. And you're not only you're not the only one, you know what I'm saying? Like we we are all in this together, you know. Where do you think we are with that conversation? Because I know that it spiked up a bit when uh, Aquafina was in Crazy Rich Asians and the farewell was getting a lot of attention, right? And right. I don't know. Like, it's it's always been interesting to me just because, like, I grew up listening to, to hip-hop, too. I don't speak in, you know, the same way that you do. But, man, when I was in high school, I kind of did, you know? Mm. And, uh, and there was a lot of parts of my personality that were shaped by listening to Nas or listening to Gangstar or listening to... I don't listen to most deaf, you know, listen to all these right. different artists and they had, you know, like I, I always thought like, well, 
I don't know if this is like it's not like something that you should come out and be like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. But it was earnest, you know, like I, I think look back on it and I was like, it's not like I was into that sort of stuff because I felt like uh, I was trying to rob somebody's culture or anything like that. Right. Like it was right. an earnest place where I was just like, I don't really identify with greater white culture. And then all this rap music is coming out. I'm just sitting in my house in North Carolina, taking it in and, you know, feeling some sort of maybe misguided, but at least a very young and and open hearted like uh, identification with it. And sometimes that creeps in in the way that that you talk. And now I understand the arguments as to like why that sort of stuff can be harmful. But I, I, I don't know, I always felt like it was a bit of a overcorrection in a lot of ways, you know, it was like people not understanding that people aren't like just waking up one day and start thinking, hey, I want to be famous. so I'm going to start talking this way. Like there are a lot of kids who end up talking that way. And then, you know, I, when I was following like what people are saying about Aquafina, um, I don't know, it just like something triggered in my head and I was like, I'm not gonna think about this. And so since then I haven't thought about it. Mm. But then when I saw you do that video, I was like, oh, people are still talking about this, you know? Yeah. And of course they're talking about it in the context of you. Like, where do you think this conversation is right now? Like, um, and, and what do you think about it all? I, I feel like this conversation is, is still ongoing. Uh, recently, I saw a girl on TikTok posting, you know, when you say overcorrectness, um, you know, this young lady kind of had something that she wanted to address about, you know, pretty much everybody that kind of falls into that category of, and, and to be fair, like, I didn't even know AAVE was a term until I got on TikTok, you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of how, how distant I was about this whole conversation. Um, so, yeah, like... In terms of where where it is right now, um, I think it's gonna only gonna be ongoing. Um, now, is there like a section of? Uh, I can't speak with everybody. I can't speak for everybody that you know speaks the way they speak. But at least for me, um, I just find it oftentimes interesting that a lot of these you know callouts they tend to come from Asian Americans that didn't really grow up in like the environments that you know I grew up. You know what I mean? Where, so where you're talking about like rich suburban Asians then, like mostly, right? And I mean, at elite schools. Or, I mean, again, yeah, like I don't know where they come from, but you know, if you are gonna make that assumption, Jay, you know, let's make that assumption. Yeah, I didn't. I, didn't, I, I didn't was say just it. clarifying your assumption. <laughs> I, I didn't say it, but you know, but you know, but you know. So, yeah, like to to that point, yeah, for sure. Like I just feel like, of course, like not every not every Korean kid in Queens talk like Jay Key, right? Not like how every yeah. Korean person from, you know, Jay, I forget where you're from. I know you're from the South. North Carolina. Yes. Yeah. Not every Korean person from North Carolina speaks like Jay Caspi and Ken. You know what I'm saying? Like, so obviously yeah. there's differences, but, you know, like, and I think the way that you address, you know, your appreciation for those type of certain type of, you know, uh, uh, rap music, it was only magnified in places, especially like Queens, where Philly, where LA, you know, because, you know, yeah. this is like this, the, t the type of music that you're talking about actually came from those regions, right? So, um, and as minorities, in, you know, as minorities that are trying to find our own American identity, not only it was those type of popular cultures that we gravitated towards, but it was also so prevalent around us that whether we subconsciously or consciously absorbed them, it just kind of became a part of our identity. 
So, you know, I, and and I and I and I really don't want to bring this up again because I felt like I have to bring this up every two every month. Like you know what I mean, it's like yeah. a bi-monthly thing almost. Uh, there's like a clear distinction between like appropriation and appreciation. You know what I'm saying? Like. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we like I we don't have to talk about that. I, yeah. You know, because the thing I want to talk to you about though is about that time when you're growing up in New York City, around this stuff. You know, mm. because I I don't know. Sometimes I feel like a dinosaur. So I was trying to think about it, and I was like, you know, like I know all these Asian kids who are about our age. You know, who grew up in the '90s, basically. So you mm. grow up around. You know, like you're excited because like Sound Bombing Two comes out, or you're excited because like. Like all the stupid backpack shit that seems embarrassing now, you know. You're like, oh my god. By the way, you know? by the way, I worked at Fat Beats for like a good year. Okay, yeah. You're talking about the Asian that was excited about sound bombing and shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, me too. Me too. I fucking went crazy when sound bombing came out, or like the you know like some mixtape comes out, or like uh, you know like you're like like what is this thing from virginia and you're listening to the clips for the first time or something mm-hmm. like that right mm-hmm. like all this sort of stuff that's happening all of it seems mind-blowing to you at the time now and you know it wasn't just asian kids who were doing it it was also jewish kids you know specifically yeah. right Brown so kids, i was like, like i was thinking about southeast yeah yeah, yeah, kids, yeah like, like eastern kids, european like, kids you know what i'm saying like yep yep yeah. yep and basically anyone who's an immigrant right Pretty um much. was was doing was doing sort of the same thing and i just like i was like how many jewish kids did i know growing up who talked with a with like a you know like a complete accent Mm. you know and like they sort of picked it up in a way right so they start they started doing maybe in middle school or something like that right right um and like what do what do i think about that right and then also asian kids and i was like i think it's sort of like a time thing right like if you grew up in the 90s when all this stuff was coming out and before these rules were in, in put in place, you know, and with like Jewish kids that I grew up with, like, you know, in the South, it's not like they were like 100. It's not like at the time, like everyone thought they were just white and didn't think that they were Jewish, too, you know. And so there's part of them as well, too, that is identifying with this stuff in hip hop. And I don't know, I, I, I find that like the I think that people maybe just don't understand how <laughs> how ubiquitous it was back then you know or something like that i mean i'm not meaning to like to like discount the arguments against this like you know that's 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 where like the appreciation and not appropriation type of thing comes into place but i think we can get beyond that and i think that um because like you know for me at least that's assumed right and like we don't have to go over it over and over and over again but for me it's like I don't know. Like, I, I think it's like a kind of time thing. Cause like, you don't see Jewish kids walking around, you know, talking like uh, Rakim anymore, right? Like, like that, that, that sort of that's, generation. That's definitely I think is true. Passed. That's definitely true. I mean, you know, if you go to certain parts of Brooklyn, uh, you know, there's a certain specific type of like white guys that were like, you know, they all kind of dress like members of Lords of Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, you know, they all have like a Puerto Rican baby mother. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, they have a certain type of vibe. You know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, most of them probably wrote graffiti at, at some point in their yeah. life. And, you know, these guys are white, Jewish, Italian, uh, probably have some Eastern European blood. You know what I mean? And they talk a certain type of way. So, yeah, maybe the the chronological thing has a has a has a has a has a huge factor. Um to to that point maybe like this whole generation of kids growing up on drill music 
where you know Brooklyn drill music will probably be influenced by that in, in their culture you know um, you might see like some Middle Eastern kids who who sounds like you know uh, 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 like a like a like a lower bass version of Pop Smoke you know what I'm saying who knows right <laughs> so I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if I come across a kid like that you know what I mean so yeah my most problematic opinion is that you know I kind of hope that happens just because I don't know, man. I think like uh, people have different identities. They're all complicated. They identify with different things and they generally do it not at, not to be like to get attention or to be an asshole. They do it because it means something to them. And I don't I don't quite understand why when especially when it's young people, why it's so heavily policed at this point, you know, like uh, like don't you want kids to like get into, you know, different types of music from different people that they might not come across? You, in their but, daily routine and if, if sometimes that you know sometimes the full identification happens it, it happens for a reason you know it's because that's what you're around like that's what that's what makes you feel comfortable um i don't know i don't know why i'm ranting about this no, but i no, think no. about it a lot yeah <laughs> and also i feel like the 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 culture of policing or overcorrectness it doesn't always come and it, it, you know as of late what i've noticed is that it doesn't necessarily come from an older person trying to correct somebody who is younger. I noticed yeah. that a lot of that comes from, as of late, younger people of a certain type of experience or perspective trying to correct them, you know, trying to correct, you know, people of all ages, you know what I mean? And, um, and that, and that only really happened, I feel like, is because of social media, right? Because, you know, even when I was like in high school, uh, I might listen to some immortal technique records and I feel like, wow, I have like all the knowledge of the world about the Bush government. <laughs> and I would like openly call that out during my history class to my teacher. But I didn't have a TikTok that I could make a video that could go viral. Now, all of a sudden, I'm yeah. an expert in a particular uh, perspective, even though like I probably never paid any taxes or you know what I'm saying like I don't have any <laughs> understanding of the real world or what we perceive as the real world but now I'm all of a sudden an expert where I'm on a pedestal because my video went viral and I think that's kind of what we're seeing a lot of that in the Gen Z that are active on TikTok and that are it, there's almost a culture of policing there's almost like you get clout for calling each other out you know so, yeah, I just thought that is very Yeah, and look, some of this, like, you know, I, I, I feel like the conversation can happen and it's fine. And people can call me out, they can call you out, it's fine, we're adults, you know? And uh, we have platforms and that comes with it. But, like, I guess it's the thing that I never understand is, like, how, how do you want people to talk, you mm -hmm. know? Like, what is, like, is there some authentic baseline way that asian americans should talk you know like is there a, is there an accent that i should be talking about that's the that's the baseline asian accent or the baseline korean accent and no of course not you know and if there was one i think it would be you know at least for people my age it would be really influenced by hip-hop you know and it's just weird it's like they like of course when they're talking about it what they really want to be is like oh you should just talk like a white person you know and that's like the baseline and that's just like a weird assimilationist thing that I, I can't get down with, like that I just find so weird because yeah, 1, I don't know if you take it. Yeah, you take one. It's like, OK, like, let's all just act like white people, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, one thousand percent.
1000%. Or like, do you want me, do you want me to wear like a hanbok around or something like that? Like, what, exactly. What the, exactly. Like, what do you want me to do, man? I live in America. I was, I was raised here, you know? And all I listened to from like age 12 to, or age 11 maybe to like, you know, I was like 25 years old, just rap music. And I promise I didn't do it out of like malice, you know? But, um, yeah yeah no it's 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 always been so confusing to me um it's but, still a confusing uh, it's still confusing to me but um i think for me the defense is always well by the way if you want me to speak korean because you know i am korean i look korean i speak very good korean <laughs> you know what i mean so i try <laughs> to shut down that argument quick you know so you know because most of these guys were most of these folks that tend to do do the call outs i noticed like they don't have the full spectrum of knowledge themselves. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't really have uh, that bilingualism or trilingualism uh, for them to be the ones to really try to, you know, police other people. I just find it ironic in many cases, but you know, to each his own, it, it, right? It is weird though. Cause it's like, I don't know. Like this is another thing I want to talk to you about. Cause this is something I think you know pretty well. So when we were growing up, right, like most of the cultural cues that we got were from hip hop. I think that is true across the board, right? Um, Definitely. At least for me, my age, it was like before Britney Spears and all, like everything became boy and girl bands. In the early 90s, mid 90s, like when I was 15 years old, everything was hip hop, right? It was like Rap City. It was, yeah. um, you know, it was, it was, yeah, I don't know. I mean, for the listeners, for the listeners, I'm not 41. You know what I mean? I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually, I'm, a, I'm actually a decade younger than Jay, just just for the record. Okay. But uh, yeah. uh, you know, but I did have all. Wait, the, you're I'm only thirty one. I'm only thirty. Yeah. Oh my. I am thirty one. Yep, 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 yep. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. thought you were like thirty six or something. Nah, um, man. I, I just have older friends. You know. Where Where did you graduate from high school? I graduated in Queens. My high school was in Queens, and then I went to a, a school in the Bronx, uh, Fordham. I went to a college in Fordham. Yeah, what, well, about what year did you graduate? Uh, 2007. 2007. Okay, yeah, wow. Yeah. So you are 10 years younger than me. Yeah. Oh, shit. yeah. Um, okay, so when I when you were when you were 5. <laughs> yep. Yep. When I was when I was still in Korea, when I was still in South Korea. Yeah. Yeah, when you were in South Korea. Um, when I was 15, that's what, you know, that's where I got most of my culture from. It's where most of my friends got their uh, culture from. Kids nowadays, you know, it's weird though, because because they now get so much of their culture from Korea, you know. Like, yep. I feel like, uh, and that wasn't really an option. I think when we were growing up, was it? Like, I don't remember when I was fifteen years old. It, having, it definitely know, wasn't having um, anything from Korea being imported over here, or or celebrated, right? Celebrated. Yeah, yeah. I had like one um, outside, Kim Gong of... <laughs> Oh yeah, you had a Kim Gong album. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, like, mom got it for me, and he was. I, I think he rapped, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Um, he, he definitely yeah. adopted a lot of like reggae sound. You know what I mean? Like he, he played around yeah. a lot. But um, yeah. So I, you know, when I came to America in '98, and um, I, I grew up, you know, I grew up in Queens ever since then. I kind of stuck around in Queens ever since then. Uh. The, the bubbles that I was in, whether it was in Elmhurst, were Flushing, you know, they, these were pretty big Korean enclaves, right? So you had access to Korean music, Korean supermarket, Korean people, Korean churches, and so on and so forth. But, you know, it wasn't like 
Korean things were celebrated in mainstream America, right? This is years before BTS, Parasite, yeah. or even Psy, or Keith Abe, or any of that. So I think the and even amongst the Korean Americans, there was a very distinctive uh, separation between what the native Korean Americans would call, you know, they would call people like me a fob, right? Fresh off the boat. And then I would call like somebody who, you know, probably grew up in Long Island, only speaks English, doesn't really want to converse in Korean, a Twinkie, right? So there was like that fine distinction. But the moment that I realized as an adolescent that the 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 the, the, the those two factors kind of came together and celebrated as a unit and really just you know was you know was like beating our chest to was the 2002 world cup moment right um when that happened like regardless of your you know native korean affiliations everybody was rocking the beat of reds t-shirts you know what i'm saying like everybody all of a sudden became a thousand percent korean so yeah, I think that was kind of the, the pivotal moment, the tipping point. And since then, you know, Kim Yuna happened and K-pop happened and Psy happened. You know, now BTS is a household name. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, we're definitely living in a different time. Now, to your point about, like, the difference in cultural uh, reference points, you know, I, I speak to a lot of, like, younger uh, Korean Americans or Asian Americans it's interesting how they still express their feelings of being unseen. You know what I mean? And for me, yeah. I'm like, yo, I feel like y'all being seen the most, <laughs> you know? And I'm sure I you know, feel man, I, I have the same, I have the same response. Cause like I see these dudes on, you know, I, whether on TikTok or something like that. And they're like, you know, um, they're like, man, re- representation. Blah, blah. And I'm like, Wait, hold and um, you know, part of me is just like, you guys have it so good compared to me. I was in fucking North Carolina, you know. I didn't know any other Korean people. Nobody <laughs> that I knew had ever seen a Korean person other than me, you know. And and you guys are all over TV, you know. Like you have like white girls and white dudes at your school who are pretending to be Korean, you know. Like that's so mind blowing to me, you know. Even in like the Midwest or something like that, you know. Like you have these like people who are so into K-pop that they start learning Korean, and I'm like, it, it, it's like I. I I understand that they still have they still have yeah. problems and everything they like that. But I have problems, this thing where I'm just yeah. like, I'm like, oh my god, it's so much better. Like you, I would have prayed for one white person at my high school to like learn Korean and to be my friend. You know? Yeah, yeah, one thousand <laughs> percent. Like one thousand percent. Like I would have never imagined in my life that I would hear BTS and Blackpink on one Z100. You know, yeah. Like I oh, would have wow. never it's, imagined yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have never imagined it. I mean, the only Korean music that I didn't feel a sense of hesitation playing around my non-Korean friends was Drunken Tiger, which is you know a, a rap group from Korea, and they're from you know L.A. and New York. So the sounds that they created, even though they were rapping in Korean, was pretty much similar to a lot of like New York or L.A. style hip hop. So. Yeah, you know it. You know that was the only stuff that I didn't feel like a, a sense of hesitation playing around like my non-Korean friends. But now, like, there's a whole gamut of K-pop that people want to know and you know play. So yeah, I mean, but but to that, I kind of have a question. So yeah. you know, 
do you feel like we've kind of arrived in the sense that we are starting to see mediocrity uh, kind of getting celebrated? Right. So like <laughs> I started noticing like these reality shows, right? Like the House of Ho, the Bling Empire and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, I, I also, you know, even like the films like uh, Call Me By Your Name. I mean, I know it was a, a hugely celebrated film. But for me personally, I just even Crazy Rich Asian, I wasn't a big fan of as a film, not for what it meant culturally. But as a film, I wasn't a huge fan of. And I feel like once we kind of have like all this mediocrity being accepted you know it's it's kind of like the full gamut and you can't be you know mediocre and still get representation and um yeah i'm just kind of interested in what you think about that right like what what are your thoughts about it what inning are we in you know what i'm saying like (laughs) i think it's interesting just because i think like some and i think this is a not necessarily a great thing for people like us but uh, maybe for you, just because, like, you know, like, you, your Korean is much better, and you can, I don't know, I imagine that you could go back to Korean within a month, you would be, you know, totally, you know, like, no one would know, right, that you're, that you had grown up here. Um, I think that since so much of what the cultural products that are identifiably Asian right now are coming specifically from Korea, that, and they're not Asian American, mm that there is like some, th- and a lot of them are really good, you know? I think it does kind of create this crisis for Asian Americans specifically, because like we could just like get wiped out by Parasite, you know? We could get wiped out by like, remember, like I, I always think back to these dudes and you know, I wanted to ask, let's just talk about it now where it's like, you know, like do you remember like the Mountain Brothers? Of course. Right? Like that, that like sort of early Asian rap group, yeah, right? Yeah, sort yeah. of like backpack rap. I, I have and... their CDs and the LPs in my house right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got their CD too. Um, and so you, I remember that being meaningful to me because it was like the first, you know, it was like the first real Asian hip hop group that I'd heard that was doing rap that I like to listen to, like right. the type of rap that I like, which was more like, you know, kind of like a, you know, lyrics heavy of backpack type of sound right yeah. so um i feel like right now the mountain brothers would not exist even at the level that they existed back then where they're sort of like a hero to asian kids right because like all the asian kids can just listen to k-pop or they can listen to mm, korean rappers interesting and like because that has so much more resources and marketing behind it than like this sort of indie mountain brothers group right i don't know what mountain brothers are doing right now but i imagine they're not like well i i I don't think they made millions of dollars doing rap. i I know i know two of them are in the medical field you know parallel (laughs) and uh styles infinite i know traps are Uh still making music i actually um did a song with them many years ago that got placed on a netflix show so shout out to traps oh nice nice yeah yeah. Yeah. so they're, they're still around but you're right you know like none of those guys uh became you know rap stars and um yeah, like, t- to your point as well, like, I feel like for, to become an Asian-American artist, independent artist, to try to catch that group of Asian-American, uh, like, running that Asian-American college show circuit probably would yeah. be a lot difficult now than it was even 10 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, 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 because, like, yeah, you will go to, like, uh, I don't know, let's say you go from, like, Irvine to like LA to Cal to like yeah, yeah. you know Stanford and then people are like why are you talking about this corny identity shit you know <laughs> I just want to 
just... <laughs> There's like someone much better looking and cooler yeah. than you yeah. from Korea that I like to listen to. You Let, know? Let's, let's bring it's, the it's guys from Show Me space. the Buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I feel like we're in this space where it's like, uh, if you, if I was like, I don't know, let's say my daughter was like, or let's say I was young and I was re- I was like 20 years old again. Um, like, would I just try and start a career as like a creative person in Korea instead? You know, right now, probably, you know, because it seems like there's more opportunity right now. Like being an Asian American, two young Asian Americans, and maybe this is wrong because I don't know that many teens because I, like I said, I'm old. I don't spend a lot of time talking to kids, but like um, I talk to some. But it does seem like being like an Asian American to young Asian Americans right now is kind of corny. Does that does that make sense? Like, do you? Yeah, do you I, I get what you're saying. I totally get what you're saying. But I do feel like, yes, there are more opportunities for Asian Americans when they do go back to uh, their parents' motherland, uh, at least in the initial stage. But it, there's a lot more opportunities opened up for them in the beginning. Right. Because compared to like, yeah. I'll give you an instance, like if I go to Korea right now, like, uh, you know, a lot of the group of friends that I get to have access to, you know, they're celebrities and, you know, they're like they're like kids of conglomerate families. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just, just by default yeah. because of the access that I have in New York that gets to be translated and be place me in an upper echelon of the society that I think definitely does exist. But once that kind of becomes normalized like i don't you know korea japan china all these places are extremely competitive societies you know and um i think trying to break into that there's going to be a ceiling of its own in those societies as well and i think that's pretty much inevitable you know and then when that when that migration starts to happen and it becomes normalized i'm sure those same kids where the kids of their kids is going to come back to new york and <laughs> immigrate back you know what i mean so that's kind of like this yeah like I, I you know i actually think about this a lot because i have a lot of like korean american friends that move back to korea they don't speak a lick of korean yeah. you know what i mean they don't speak a lick of korean but they get uh, a lot more of those uh initial opportunities that i feel like korean koreans might not get you know but uh-huh. how long would that window stay open for these Korean Americans, right? Because now, you know, I speak, this was 10 plus years ago when I went to Yonsei for a study exchange. I met a lot of local Koreans that never stepped out of the country that speaks better English grammatically than I did, right? But now you have an entire generation of kids that yeah. studied abroad going back to Korea. So the level of, you know, having this foreign perspective is no longer unique to, you know, Korean Americans or Kyopos, you know what I mean? It, it's it. also becoming yeah, yeah. more so unique not, to Korean So you're not special. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you, like, the, where that you, special factor... Like, hey, we... Yeah. Yeah, it's getting less... Uh, that, 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 that allure is just kind of decreasing by the year, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's not good either then. Because I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, that's my... That's my worry right now is like, cause I think about it in myself, right? Cause I, or I think about it in terms of like music and stuff like that, where I was just like, so much Asian American stuff right now is thinking about identity and things like that. Mm. And I just think about it and I'm like, nobody wants to hear this shit. And the last person who wants to hear it is me, you know? But that's like the stuff that I'm asked to produce and that's what I produce and that's what like 
Asian Americans generally talk about, especially, you know, and Koreans too. I think we can just limit it to Koreans. And I'm like, well, if there's something else in the past, it was, you know, that like the thing that would get you, um, that would feel outside of that sort of educated college, you know, ASA type of, or KSA type of conversation was that if you're like a rapper, if you're like a graffiti artist, you know, like David Cho or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And now if that is like, if that part is, is walled off because people are like, Oh, well that would be appropriation. Then I don't know what, what we're left with. And you know, the truth is that the marketplace is now being saturated by all these Koreans, you know, right. Right. Koreans. <laughs> so, from yeah, Korea. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking yeah. out loud to the, to how to respond to your question about that, because I, I do think that for Asian Americans, it's like not a good time, you know, because we're mm. just getting, we're getting gentrified by all these fucking Koreans, you know, like, I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> like if I was to get, if you're like, are you going to watch what's that bling empire? Is that the show? Yeah. You yeah, know? yeah. Or yeah, like yeah. Kim's convenience or something like that. Or are you going to watch this? Like, are you going to watch this uh, Korean drama, you know, about like, some that's an excellent who, like, point. Gets, an excellent I'd be like, point. I'm going to watch the Korean drama because I don't want to watch, uh, you know, I don't want to watch anything about Asian Americans where they talk about being Asian American. <laughs> And I know if I feel that way, man, I can't imagine what like a 15 year old feels like, you know, where like so much of their social capital, especially if they live around white people is tied up around like K-pop and BTS or whatever. And all these cultural products coming out of out of Asia. I mean, they must really not want it. Anyway, that's my that's my I have I'm talking off the top of my head. So people are mad at this. I apologize. But that's how I sort of feel right now. That's an excellent observation. I didn't even think about it like that. But maybe it might get to a point, and this is just me thinking in a very hopeful manner, maybe it could get to a point where we get assimilated to the overall white, black, brown communities where, you know, it's no longer an Asian American thing. It just becomes an American thing, right? Yeah. And I don't, but but to be fair, I don't even know if that's what we want, but my inclination or hope is that that's what it will eventually become. Yeah, I, 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 cause I, I, I think, uh, I think that might come, but I don't know if that's a good thing or not a good thing, you know, because I think that would mean that it's like basically we've embraced this sort of assimilationist mindset, right? Mm. And we want the things that make us distinct to be erased. And what we're really doing is like, well, we just want to be thought of as American. We don't want to be thought of as Korean American. What you're basically saying is that I would there's some part of me that wants to just be thought of as white in the same way that, you know, I don't know. I always think about it with my Jewish friends growing up, where I was like, I never thought of them as white when I was in middle school. You know, this is like in 1992, 1993. I was like, oh, they're Jewish. They're not really white. And now I think about them as white, you know? So like, it's like, like, you know, for them, I, they obviously have a lot of angst and like anxiety and whatever. Like, you know, they think about that quite a bit. But, you know, is that the process then, right? Is that the process where, like, you know, then at some point we're just like, well, they're not really, you know, they're they're just sort of lumped in with white people. Is that what it means to be, like, an American without being a Korean American? I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. I mean, it's probably better for, like, money things and, you know, you know assimilation. But maybe, I don't know if that's a good thing. Um, I don't know. I think maybe, like, the real answer is that, uh, we got to figure out a better way to like make make stuff. 
yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's not so like identity focused, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but it's hard when your competition is Korea, just pumping this shit out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely difficult when you are going against these trainees. That's been pretty much, they're like entertainment assassins, man. You know, they put <laughs> yeah, them in, I know. in these training programs <laughs> for twelve years, learning four languages dancing singing acting all at the same time i know, I know man with the perfect I know, I physique and facial features like how do you go against that you know what i mean the american school <laughs> system doesn't provide that you know what i mean <laughs> yeah exactly they're they're gonna say you have to go to school have you seen that documentary planet b-boy that, oh yeah um, that's uh, Benson, yeah, 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 Benson Benson Lee, yeah yeah Benson Benson Lee. Yeah. i think about that all the time in terms of uh you know koreans and pre you know like that sort of entertainment complex remember that scene sure. where they have the gamblers and the gamblers are practicing you know the gamblers for the listener is like a korean uh at the time og og b-boy team at the time they were like arguably the best b-boy team in the world yep right and so like they show this guy spinning on his head and that one of the guys goes all he does is spin on his head he just practices spinning on his head he's not even really that good at dancing <laughs> but like his job is just to spit practice spinning on his head and i was like Craftsmanship. that's that's the whole yeah that's the whole korean media uh you know entertainment world <laughs> yeah like, yeah yeah they have this dude spinning on his head you know like that's basically it and so um i don't know it's i think it's hard for us to compete against that you know i think uh you got to have something that distinguishes you um quite a bit and i don't know i think you know for you you know the part just intellectual i was interested in your videos i was hoping they did well because you know we know each other but from an intellectual perspective i was like well would these have blown up if 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 he talked like me you know mm-hmm. what do you think what do you think that like that's um, an that's an know, excellent point that's a that's an excellent question um i would say i would i would say no frankly you know yeah i don't think so either yeah and the reason why isn't because uh you know like i'm doing this as a form of theatrics uh but it was the uh, surprise factor because the perception of the viewers whatever preconceived notions that they have of how an asian person is supposed to talk um that's kind of what i somewhat shattered with a lot of these initial videos because if you look at it i started off with just the actual food like the the camera angle doesn't show me until like you're in the middle of the video so a lot of the comments that i got from it were whoa where the fuck did this guy come from (laughs) you know what i'm saying like like (laughs) they didn't expect like this face to speak the way that it was conveyed in the video so yeah to your to your question 1000 percent. i don't think without that surprise factor it probably wouldn't have gone viral um initially so it definitely did play a part hey gen z i will say that after watching something happened with the tiktok algorithm where after watching your video all i got for a while was like surprising accent videos have you seen these it's like there's like this Filipino kid who uh, in Texas who talks like, you know, like um, Matthew McConaughey and who shit. Has like, no, 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 no. It's he talks more like, you know, like Paul Wall or something. Oh, like that, right? that's um, fire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then um, there's like then there's like this white guy who does like, a you know, who who lived in Nigeria for a while. And he doesn't you know, he has this accent and it's like all this sort of, you know, you do, I bet you didn't know that this person talked like this, you know, right, and it's like right. very 
racialized. Right. But one of the things that I, I that I was watching about it was that these things are popular. I think because like these Gen Z kids actually like it. You know, like they're not sort of gawking at it in this way, and it sort of begs I, I, me hopeful. You know, because I think like, oh well, maybe like we can have this return to where things are not so prescriptive, you know, that like we can appreciate that someone would grow up somewhere and geographically and culturally that they would come out this way, or even just like, maybe they didn't even grow up in that area. Maybe they, you know, maybe there's just a lonely kid in the suburbs. And like, the only thing that made sense to them was like listening to DMX or something like that. Right. <laughs> I'll be the like, best you uh, see the rest I, looking like they need a rest. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm not saying that was me, but you know, it was like maybe one of my friends, you know, so like, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I hope that uh, that things sort of go back to, you know, that, that maybe there is like less sort of just prescriptions about it because it honestly just bums me out just because I don't know. I, I, maybe every generation this feels this way, but I just feel like people who grew up um, around and they came of age when all this hip hop was coming out. You know, it's like a, it's a blessing, you know, and um and to basically have it always in your head, hey, I can't take this too seriously or I can't identify with this too much because uh, or else like, you know, I'm going to get yelled at online or like or it's wrong, you know, like I'm committing like an act of, like of treason or whatever. Not that I don't think that I think there are good critics of this that would not use that type of language. But, you know, a lot of times they are, it is sort of put out in that language. I don't know. I just find, I think it's bad for kids. You know, I think it's bad for kids to not, to not be able to, like you, so you moved over and I, did you speak any English when you, when you moved over? Nah, How old were you? I, I didn't, I didn't speak a lick of English when I first moved to the States. Uh, I was nine years old. Uh, yeah, I was like nine years old when I first came here. Um, I actually lived in China before I came here. So, um, it was like, how should I put it, man? Um, yeah, I, I, how should I put it? I think it was, I didn't even speak that good. Like, my Korean wasn't even that great when I first came to the States. Um, a lot of mm -hmm. the Korean, because, you, know, I, I, you know, I lived in China as an, as an elementary school student. So I was there from first grade to third grade. So my Chinese was very fluent. And then um, because I lived in, like, these Korean bubbles, I was able to kind of get my Korean back in shape. And um, simultaneously... Uh, you know, all this rap music, High 97, the culture around it. And at the time, when I was around middle school, well, Jay, Nas, those were the big guys. But by the time I got to middle school, like 50 Cent was pretty much the most dominant force in hip hop or pop culture. And yeah, like <laughs> if, you're, if you grew up around that particular era in hip hop, when being a thug, like being tough was pretty much just... You know, it was like the default identity that you kind of had to embrace. Otherwise, you are going to you you can't survive in a public school system. Yeah, man. Like, yeah, yeah like that was pretty much my um, my upbringing. And that 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 kind of went beyond race. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. Because you because going from these country to country to country. Language must be more fluid for you, you know, than somebody who just grows up in one place with one, you know, around the same type language and the same people that um yeah yeah um it must had you must picked it up in that sort of way and then you just pick it up and then to survive you know because you need to learn the language i don't know i find it yeah um, yeah i actually uh, want to yeah. i actually want to address something that we mentioned earlier um about 
um yeah like just about like how the perception of the way i speak might have garnered a certain type of reaction to people what i did what i did come to learn as i got older was um you know people like anybody anybody will always be viewed skeptically by those that don't understand the things that you know you are made of so I just feel like now I'm now very understanding that, you know, young people can't you or younger people can't always imagine a reality beyond their own experience. Right. So, I, mm. you know, I think the advent of social media is actually opening up a lot more of those experiences for them. So in that sense, it is fortunate. But because there's so much influx of information, it's also closing them up, which is the fact that I feel like it's unfortunate. You know what I mean? So I kind of yeah, wanted to address yeah. that. I just thought about that just now. So I just wanted to put that out there. You know, when I, I that's, you know, I was thinking this might be irrelevant, but I was just thinking about it where it's like, you know, I, I was a high school teacher for a while. Oh, is that I right? Remember, uh, yeah. So this is like in 2005 or something like that. And so I, all, a lot of my students were super into hip hop. And I remember talk, they would come and talk to me about it. And they're like ninth, 10th graders. And it was interesting because like they were just because YouTube was around and because like, you know, like it, it wasn't Spotify era, but, you know, they could get whatever MP3s they mm. wanted. They were listening to all the rap that I listened to. Right. You know, and so like I remember walking down the halls one day and this kid was listening to like Smith and Wesson, <laughs> like the, the Shining. Oh, you know? word. And yeah, I, was yeah, like, yeah. I was like, what the f I, I didn't say this to him. I was like, I kind of gave him this look, you know. And he's like, yo, this is the best, you know? Mm. And I thought about it at the time because I was like, when that album came out, that was, you know, I was like, mine was blown. Right, you know? right, right. But it had just come out. I had to go to the record store to get it. And it was part of like a continuum of stuff that had come out that was sort of building towards that album coming out. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think a lot of listeners will not understand why I think like that <laughs> album is like a seminal album, but you know, I don't, I'm I mean, not going to explain it. It, it, it was a seminal it really album. Is. I mean, after the yes. stage, but, but you know, to your point though, I was one of those kids as well because I, you know, my first Nas album was still Matic, not Illmatic, right? My first Jay-Z album was Blueprint, not Reasonable Doubt. Like I actually had to do the Okay, Kumon, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and to actually go back into it. But the, the, the access to information that I got was a lot more easy than probably your era. Like, because, you know, there was like, you know, uh, P2P, right? Uh, what is it? Um, uh, the file sharing system. Napster, like, stuff yeah, like, like that. Like Kazaa, yeah, 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 LimeWire yeah. and all those things. And yep, we were yep, able to get wire. access yeah. to a lot of those uh, information. And yeah, like my whole generation of kids, like we all grew up knowing mob deep shook one's lyrics even though shook ones came out in 95 when we were technically six years old right so um i don't think yeah like and and um so yeah that's also the beauty of like the, to the point that i've made earlier about the advent of social media internet and all these things giving us a lot more access to information that we probably wouldn't have had gotten you know i think that was the pro side of it right yeah, yeah. I, I guess, like, for me, it was, like, I don't think it was even bad, but I just thought that their, their experience of listening to music was different than mine, right? Like, I remember, like, I was, like, I would go to the record store, and there was a guy who worked there, and he would give me recommendations. So, like, 
you know, like when the Alcoholics came out with an album, he was like, you have to listen to this. You yeah, know, like yeah, yeah. I, the first Jurassic 5 EP, he was like, yo, he's like so excited to have me hear it. You know, right, now, right, right. now in retrospect, I'm like, you know, like, but I was like, holy shit, this is fucking great. Right. Um, uh, you know, like Red Man, like whatever, like good. I remember like Goody Mob, like, you know, all yeah, this yeah, sort of yeah. stuff was coming out. And it was part of like a time thing. And I was thinking like, oh, these kids don't have that sense of time, right? Like they, they just discover things because they, somebody gave it to them. And that's not word, necessarily word good algorithm, or bad. You know, word algorithm, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not, saying, I'm not trying to do like a golden era of hip hop type of YouTube comment yeah, type yeah. of thing right now. I'm <laughs> yeah, just saying yeah. that now, <laughs> it might be now that like the kids get so many different identities from all around the world. Then maybe exactly. they'll be more fluid with it, you know. Exactly. Like maybe exactly. you're right. Like maybe. I, yeah. I met this. I met this kid from Singapore. Was it Singapore or Malaysia? I think he's he reps Singapore though. He's of Malaysian descent, but you know this kid grew up like in in Singapore until he was like 20 years old until he got to college. But yo, my man was talking like. Yo, he was talking like Makai Pfeiffer from Paid in Full. You know what I mean? Like, like he came through with the hand gestures and everything. He was like, "Yo, what a baby!" Like, I was, "Yo, what's going on?" Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, "Yo, where are you from? Uptown One Two Five? Like, what's what's happening?" You know? Um, and and you know, and people have a problem with me coming from Queens. You know? So I was like, "Yeah, what's happening right now, man?" But like you said, because of the axis of information, um, that kind of goes beyond your immediate geographic locale like uh the influence of culture is you know that that box has been open you know so and, and to your point about um getting that first-hand experience from a record store and getting that recommendation from an actual human being i caught the tail end of that um you know uh so yeah, you worked at fat beats yeah right? i mean yeah fortunately we're unfortunately man it was a fucking cold place to work in the winter times man they didn't have heat you know what i mean oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, man. But you would like kids would come in and you'd be like, "Here's a new High and Mighty album," it, it, <laughs> something like. That. I mean, it was more like people under the stairs, you know, like guys like yeah, that, yeah, you know, yeah, a whole yeah, lot of like, yeah. you know, academics in the Boston underground shit. But uh, oh yeah, yeah, Mr. Lift, yeah, Mr. Edan, uh, Pace One, <laughs> Mr. You know what I mean? All yeah, those guys, Pace yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. I, you know, I I worked at Double X. That Boston, yeah, there was. Do you remember that there's a there's an Asian dude in that Boston underground scene? Do you remember him? Sna uh, uh, Snacky Chan. Snacky Chan. See, like, so yeah. that's the thing, right? Like my whole shit with hip hop, I was so obsessed with hip hop that I interned for Snacky Chan at sixteen. You know what I mean? Like I was. You his, interned for wait? What do you, yeah. what do you do as Snacky Chan? All right, so for the listener. <laughs> If you if you uh, if you can catch this uh, this uh, this snacky Chan reference, God bless you, man. Because yeah. like you know, um, but you know what? Well, okay, so snacky I'm sure Chan was like a, a lot of your listeners will probably know Chan. I'm, I'm gonna guess, you know, like a lot of intellectuals. Yeah, I, I would say so. I would say if, if there's a podcast where a large percentage of listeners will know about <laughs> snacky Chan, snack, then it's our podcast. And, and this Oliver um, Wang book, yeah, I think it's your podcast, brother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what exactly. I mean? <laughs> And it's all the book that I have. Yeah, I saw him. Uh, I saw I saw him live once. He was great on. He was great, good performer, man. Yeah, totally. Um, totally. Yeah. Oh wait, so okay, you gotta tell me the story. What do you do as Snacky Chance intern at sixteen? So, like, you know, uh, I was uh, when I was sixteen. You know, my dream was to become a rap artist, right? Um, I wanted to be a rap artist at night and a history teacher in the morning. That was kind of like a young <laughs> J Key at sixteen, <laughs> fantasizing about his adulthood. So, 
I, I got to meet Chan um, at like some Korean Chuseok festival in Flushing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and I was the only person in the audience who knew his lyrics. Like, because I, I was a huge fan by then already. I was listening to his album and I was, you know, hoping to meet him one day. And then I met this guy. And uh, yeah, for, you know, he was just like, yo, like, I was just like, yo, I'm down to ride with you, bro. Like, you know, tell me what to do. So I started like helping him promote like street team stuff, putting posters everywhere, dishing out his CDs and trying to like land him in the right places, you know, dropping a whole lot of spam comments on MySpace. You know what I mean? Go check out Chan's album. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I did all that, you know, like, and then, um, I think working with Chan during that time like kind of made me realize like, man, I don't know if uh, becoming an independent rap artist as an Asian American is the way to go. You know what I mean? It was just a lot of <laughs> hardship, um, you know, a lot of instability, instability, and um, that kind of went. That's when kind of you know, this 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 you know bubble kind of popped in my head like this light bulb popped in my head like, yo, maybe I should work in the music industry or work in the hip-hop journalism space, you know, or media. Because I always thought about, like, okay, maybe I could be a critic, you know, maybe write one of these long-form yeah. reviews in the back of uh, The Source and stuff. Maybe I could do that one day. So that's kind of how I got to, like, interning at Complex under Donnie and eventually working at Double XL and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I've always been in the hip-hop, the, 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 you know, the intersection of hip-hop, Asian-American, Asian, Korean, you know, that was always like my identity growing up. So, yeah, that was pretty much. Is, my story is there anyone like that right now? Is there anyone cut? Like, is there anyone? Because like, you know, like Rich Brian, I guess would be the the most popular Asian American rap, but he's not really he's American. He's not Asian American know? though, right? He's from yeah, Malaysia. Yeah, he's like from Indonesia. Yeah, Indonesia, yeah, yeah, yeah so, he's not, he's um, not from Malaysia. Indonesia, yeah. Is there is there anyone right now? Am I missing somebody? Uh, I think the closest, closest, I mean, the most successful Asian American rapper uh, who made a name for rapping is, is my friend Dumbfounded, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dumbfounded. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. hasn't put out as much music as of late because he's been focusing on you know, film and TV and, you know, becoming more of a personality. But, I mean, my man is, you know, my man is living living as a full-time artist and a creative, you know what I mean? Like, and that, as yeah. an Asian American, has never been easy. So he was able to achieve that. So he's not popping bottles yeah. in a yacht, but, you know, he's able to live a pretty good life. So. And Anderson Pac, too. Yeah, for Obviously. sure. Anderson, definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So, he's and then you know, like, uh, go ahead, um, go ahead, go ahead. All right. Well, well, hold on. Yeah. No, um. All right. So yeah, that that's uh, but yeah, like let's fit. What is uh, what, what's 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 what is Snacky Chan doing these At, days? As of late, I mean, I haven't spoken to him in a while, but the last I saw, he was like. He was he he moved to Korea many years ago, like more than ten years ago, and he kind of just settled down over there, you know, happily married, I think, you know what I mean, and then has like, uh, is doing music and you know is is still trying to you know put put you know put out artists and work with local artists, uh, yeah, that's pretty much about it. I don't really know what else he's up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, every time I turn, every time I look at Clubhouse. 
Jin is doing a room. Yeah, I think yeah, like yeah. Jin is like he's like on Clubhouse a lot. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, man. I could talk about this for the next five hours. Is that era of like 1993? I don't. It's basically like from Mountain Brothers to Jin. Yeah, you know, uh, or to Snacky. It's just like. But going back to the point all about that stuff. Yeah, going back yeah. to the point about Jin. You know, like even even like when you said that, it's kind of a tough time now for Asian Americans. Uh, because there's so much influence of <clears throat> Korean information, right? Like Korean products from Korea coming in. Where, yeah. Like when Jin had that run in 106 and Park for that seven weeks straight, that was kind of like, that was almost as big as World Cup for like a lot of Asian American kids in rap. You know oh my I mean? God. Are you kidding me? Like, I, that's what I always say when people talk about Linsanity. I'm like, I really enjoyed Linsanity, but my real Linsanity was, was, the, was, was the, the 106, 106 Park, Park run, run, man. That was, <laughs> yeah. that was an incredible run, man. I, I, I remember just getting like daps in school because of that shit. Like, it's like, yo, your boy did it. And I was like, yo, I don't know him, but yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was like the I think it was yeah it was the most I, I think that it was probably like the most riveted I've been you know yeah like Linsanity was like I was like very into it 2002 World Cup I agree like you know I was into it but there was something more emotional about the gin run on 106 and Park I got to meet him once in Hong Kong and mm-hmm. it was like I was kind of like star I was starstruck which is ridiculous you know it's like (laughs) it was just because i remember like having so much emotionally invested in him winning you know and i was like um and i was like oh my god like you know like uh what punchlines are you gonna come up now (laughs) it's weird though because it was like i don't know it was like that one line where it's like if you make one joyce a joke about rice or karate nypd it'd be in chinatown be looking for your body body. yeah (laughs) yeah that's like the most it's like the clearest declaration of asian pride that has ever existed you know i think that's why everyone got so wrapped up into it because you're just like holy shit what did he say you know (laughs) exactly yeah i was i was like shocked yeah all right well let's end on that note let's end on uh, remembering 106 park but like hey thanks for coming is there anything you want to plug or or do you want to tell people um i bet a lot of our listeners have watched your videos but you want to tell them how how uh how they can find you yeah yeah i mean first and foremost i want to say man you know like you know, thank you so much for this platform. You know, what I mean, I'm a big fan, uh, uh, a big admirer of your writing. You know, uh, your perspectives. Thanks, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, it's it's really uh, it's it's yeah. I'm grateful that like I get to just chop it up with you on this public platform. But um, yeah, no, no, it was fun. Yeah, 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 for sure. So yeah, I mean, um, I, you know, so because I'm not like a trained cook, um, I I kind of felt like there were gonna be limitations to how much cooking content that I could put up without like really knowing what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? And one thing that I don't want to do is faking the funk. So I wanted to use my platform to showcase local businesses, not only because like it was a way for me to pivot from cooking, but really just, you know, one third of eateries in New York City, they said by March, it's going to like close permanently. You know what I mean? And um, I, I genuinely believe like restaurants really define like the cultural fabric of local communities especially in places like new york especially in the boroughs especially in places like queens where you know majority of their local residents they work in the food and beverage industries you know what i'm saying so to even see like those local restaurants that anchor those communities to kind of you know close down because of you know lack of support lack of awareness i just felt like 
you know somebody really had to step up and really just highlight them so that's why yeah that's kind of what i've been pushing lately it's called righteous eats um you know righteous is kind of my slogan by the way i got that <laughs> slogan from large professor you know what i mean i actually went to <laughs> south korea with large professor in 2013 for him to host a new year's eve party and i was his like road manager so <laughs> yeah, man. This, this, this what I, club owner? What club owner in Korea was like? <laughs> I want large professor. <laughs> yeah, long story, man. Shout out to the Three Sixty Sounds. It's a DJ collective. Um, it's uh the the lead DJ there is his name is DJ Soulscape. He's kind of like the Korean Pete Rock, avid record collector. He's kind of like the DJ Morrow. He's like a Japanese OG who has like a huge record collection. But he's like the equivalent of that in South Korea. You know what I'm saying? So. Um, his his DJ crew wanted to bring out Large Pro, so I was like the guy that you know took the plane with him, spent like four days in Seoul with him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Taking <laughs> pictures in front of Kim Kim Se Jong uh, statue and shit. You know what I mean? So yeah. But anyways, yeah, it's called Righteous Eats. Uh, you could check it out on TikTok. Um, it's really a, a call to action to support local businesses and especially small uh, immigrant-owned restaurants um, in Queens. And- I've watched it and yeah. Uh, it makes me miss I have not since I moved out of New York in January I haven't you know last January I haven't really missed it that much word watching your videos made me miss it a lot yeah yeah, it's like oh shit I really like going to Flushing and Queens and going to these places so yeah check that out um and yeah thanks man thanks for coming on this was great uh maybe we can start our own podcast where we just talk about old Asian American (laughs) rap (laughs) I would listen. It'll probably last like it'll probably last five episodes, and we might get fifty listeners at most from AZN. Oh no, but those but those fifty but those fifty listeners would be like our best friends. You know, we'd be like, oh my god, somebody finally understands me. (laughs) All right, man. uh, Talk soon. Um, For sure. All right, peace, Jay.